This is Jess. Uh, welcome to another episode of Escape from Clan A. Um, taking on hosting duties. Uh, if, yeah, it's not, I don't do this often. Yay, me! Uh, I don't um, do it. I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not even like a lot of work. It's just like basically oh. saying hello and then and then all that. Um, but I don't know. Like, there's still it's an extra bit of responsibility that it's I, a sea I, of loyal listeners, and we're just pushing each other on stage, going, "You talk to them. You talk to these weirdos." We're talking yeah. to him right now, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know these people. You talk to him. Make him happy. Yeah. I don't know. Dance, monkey, dance. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, hello. So it's uh, it's me. I got uh, Teen, Teen and Adam here. Um, what's up, guys? What is up? Hello. Um, I'm going to bitch about the weather. It's colder here in California than it is in New York. Oh, yeah. Hey. it was. It's like 60 degrees here in New York today. What the hell? Yeah. It was weird. It was nice. Today. Very warm. Way too warm. So, for... Well, here's the thing about New York, though. Even if it's warm in like late December, it doesn't matter because the sun goes down at four. That's so true. That's it true. doesn't really matter. Yeah. But that's true. Like, that's true here, too. Like, the sun oh, really? went down. at Yeah. I mean, the sun just goes down at four here. Yeah. Oh, um, it's just that. super okay. cold. Yeah. What was what, what, what is it like? 40 there? Something like that. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's like Arctic temperature for California. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's gonna be in the low forties at at night. Um, it it felt like fifty, uh, ish in the during the day. Yeah, so, yep, a little West Coast bitching about unexpected weather, and we'll just get that out of the way. Did, did um, Coco? Yeah, did did she complain about going outside? Yeah, today? I, it it breaks yeah. my heart. Like she's, um, yeah, she blames me personally. Right? No, that's what dogs do. They they look yeah. at you and be like, "Why is it cold outside?" What'd you yeah. do? Like she goes out because she holds she holds her pee until she really has to go, and then we go outside, and then she'll squat and then like like just like bark at the end, just look at me, like do you <laughs> see this bullshit? Like what? How is this okay? Like do so, and then she'll like pee and go back in commie, and make eye contact. Have you seen that commie meme where it's like this guy's big black dog, and it's like when when I'm when my dog is eating. And the dog is wearing like oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. hat, and the, <laughs> like, the flag the saying "Don't tread yeah. on me." And then yeah, like, my right. dog, when I'm eating, and it's yeah. like got a, it's got like a fur cap Chain. on, like and the Soviet like... thing on top, and it's like, "Call me, bro." <laughs> Call me yeah, when you're when you're eating, we're eating. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, no, I, I Coco is the opposite problem. I kind of wanted her to stand up for herself. If the cat decides it wants in on her food, it'll bully her. Oh. And she'll back off. So she'll sit. She'll go far away and then just kind of stare longingly at her own food bowl while the cat just just has a just has its way. It's a yeah. It's its own state of affairs over here. Anyway, right, so clearly you're hearing yeah. the ramblings of three people who are not very well. So let's uh, <laughs> yeah. Why, why don't we just go ahead and uh, tee up the the <laughs> the topic? <laughs> yeah, wait. Uh-huh. Let's stop dancing around the giant yeah. black hole of bad mental health we got going on. <laughs> okay, so uh, episode three fifteen. Jeez. I think it was a, a couple of episodes ago. Um, so, Teen, you had you had mentioned uh, kind of in passing, but I thought it's an important enough to kind of spin off into its own uh, into its own conversation. Uh, the kind of like very widespread, maybe diffuse harm 
that pervasive stereotypes about Asians can cause to mm. uh, to both Asians and and particularly Asian people in the diaspora. Um, yeah. So um, I mean that's a, that's its own big topic. So I uh, just wanted to tease that out. So a couple of big areas that I thought off the top of my head, like um, like employment. Uh, we talk. I, this is this is kind of you know with the conversation about glass ceilings, you know stereotypes in the workplace. This is kind of what it what it boils down to, right? That it's a pervasive stereotype. Uh, that's kind of you can't really pinpoint where it starts or where it ends or who is who perpetrates and who is ultimately harmed by it. It's a circular kind of thing, um, but it, it definitely affects people uh, in the workplace. Um, it affects people who um, are even trying to improve their mental health. Uh, it's a very mm-hmm. frustrating trap. Uh, like we, it's it's really easy on social media to uh, like it's something that I'm trying to really hold back on because uh, it's such such a sensitive and loaded topic it's just um like honestly we should just not say it but like telling someone to go get help right or, or seek mm. therapy right um uh and you know you can see the need very clearly but also it's uh it's well-intentioned but it can also be its own trap uh so someone seeking to actually do this um could actually uh could actually end up being harmed by it because the, it there's no telling, you know, that in a lot of cases, even the healthcare professionals who are dealing in mental health are affected by these uh, by these stereotypes and assumptions. Yeah, that's a big about issue. Asians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that yeah. absolutely affects clinical outcomes and the therapist's ability to interact, uh, diagnose, and ultimately help the person that they are that they that, who has come to them for help in a very vulnerable moment. Uh, so it's really difficult to even say go seek therapy as if it's if it's kind of a solution in and of itself and not like the beginning of another uh, very mm-hmm. painful uh, journey in and of itself. I, I think like what it, what I'm what I think we're saying right is that I mean we're all aware of racial stereotypes and how stereotypes can uh, you know uh, create barriers for us and being wrongly perceived etc. But uh, I think. It seems like what we're talking about is like the degree to which a stereotype can is actually internalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I think this is what I was thinking when we were first talking about this, and I guess whatever that episode was. But um, I was thinking about how, you know, I'm not even sure it necessarily has to be a racial stereotype, but the way in which, like, um, the, the way in which these things get internalized. So it's not necessarily about some like external obstacle or, or perception that others have of you, which creates this barrier, but like the way in which it affects our, uh, you know, the way we interpret the world, the way we think about stuff, like the way it frames how we think and how, you know what I mean? Like the, the way it's internalized mm-hmm. and how I feel like that's such a trap because if you've internalized it, it's very hard to get out of that. It's unfalsifiable. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. that's the stickiest trap of all. Because then at that point, once you've internalized it, you don't question the assumption. Everything kind of feeds into it. You can always find a rationalization for why a new input actually corresponds with the stereotype Mm -hmm. you've internalized. So it's really, really hard to break out of when everything, when uh, if you don't, if you don't do the introspection to challenge that, everything actually seems to feed into it. It doesn't lead you back out. And I think something that's sort of unique to, you know, Asian Americans or Asians in the diaspora trying to get, uh, you know, mental health uh, therapy 
um, within you know America or other sort of Western countries is that not only have we internalized these sort of uh, stereotypes of ourselves, but the other you know other groups have in those countries. Uh, like what you know, let, let's just say like white people in America, right? So when you go to a therapist, and therapists are probably overwhelmingly white, um, you're not just fighting your own internalized maybe uh, stereotypes or misconceptions of why you are the way you are, but you're fighting against the therapists and their perception of why you are the yeah. way you are. Right? I mean, let's just let's so just, like that's let's just you know? say what it is, right? I mean, I've yeah. sat in on. I mean, I've sat in on some of these therapy sessions where it's like. That, you know, everything, especially for like, and this is like a white therapist with like a Asian, um, what do you call it, a client or mm -hmm. patient? Patient, patient. Where everything was immediately, there was a straight line drawn from every problem that this person was experiencing to, uh, you know, this ver this notion of... Uh, you know, this person's parents not providing, you know, an adequate foundation of love and nurture and support. And I'm not saying that that wasn't true of this person. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not, this is not a euphemism for myself. It was someone else. Um, but it, it, it was a thing where I felt like it was just overloaded to this extent where it's like everything was being drawn back to this. And I'm yeah, like, I mean, I can corroborate. That's that was my personal experience yeah. in therapy. Uh, yeah, and I in, have to, yeah. I have to think that we live in a society where, if you look around, a lot of people have a lot of problems. Where it's pretty easy, or you know, I, I don't think it's a hard, it's a stretch to draw a line between shit that we all experience as Americans living in this day and age. That it's our lives that are causing these problems. And not necessarily something deep in our past when we were, you know, babies or children, right. children and stuff. It's not always childhood trauma. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't childhood trauma. I'm not saying, you know, and, and I'm, not, course, I'm not, yeah. not even suggesting that I know how to draw the line between what is and what isn't. But I, I do feel at least watching the way that, you know, a, a, a Western therapist, let's say, approach Asian, uh, Asian patients there is an eagerness to draw a line to what they think of as a, an abnormal traumatic or otherwise, you know, um, difficult childhood that involved, you know, cultural misconceptions, cultural chasms with your parents and all this stuff. And, you know, it's hard to, say that that's not true but it's also not hard to say that that's just totally overburdened well that's the therapist's job and that's why they are supposed to be regard regarded as professionals highly trained specialists in that field that's their job to figure that out to filter mm -hmm. out to, to be able to parse what's outside influence what's internal uh, that's the exact line when we say, you know, uh, a mental illness, right? You're actually trying to filter out everything that is, you know, uh, driven by environmental stuff and isolating mm -hmm. uh, pathology from within that you would have under perfect ideal circumstances, right? And that's always going to be an asymptotic, uh, you know, there's never going to be a perfect way to, to, to do that with 100% accuracy, but that's their job to get as close to that ideal as humanly possible. 
right? So to see pr- trained professionals conflate group level dynamics, whatever they think of group level dynamics, let's say, uh, onto their individual clients as if this is some one size fits all solution, that's that's irresponsible. This is a this is this is a diffuse form of malpractice, in my opinion. Then, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's yeah, it, it it that's what I was sort of getting to a, a bit when I was saying, you know, it's sort of just the built-in perceptions of how Asian families are, right, and Asian people are, bleed into all of this therapeutic work, uh, yeah. and you know, and yeah, and and it, 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 yeah, and you're right, like it's their job to try to help somebody figure that out, right? What's sort of intrinsic to you and that you have to work on, and what's outside of you that you need to deal with, right? And maybe you have, you know, get better skills at dealing with that stuff. Um, but it's not like it shouldn't be a therapist's job to basically tell you what's wrong with you um, against all sort of evidence, right? So. Yeah, and it's it's definitely like I've I've seen some texts for uh, for <coughs> mental health professionals in training uh, in particular, and employment as well for like HR professionals hiring like managers. You know, this is like racial sensitivity training, all of that. There's a really fine line here because they kind of talk. Um, I mean, everyone's going to be familiar with this, like cultural competency or cultural mm-hmm, sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, the ideal is a great it's it's a great ideal to have. But when you actually see uh, what people say about what does it take to be culturally competent when dealing with, say, an Asian person, for one thing, it's always written as if the person who needs to learn this is not uh, is not of that group. Right. Um, right. So Which you'll never assume true, that's yeah. the person training uh, training in this is also going to be Asian, let's say, or black or Hispanic. It's always written for a distinctly uh, non-raced. And that just means white. Right. Someone who is completely mm-hmm. outside this. Right. And it's it's to me, it's almost indistinguishable. But the line between uh teaching someone to be quote culturally competent or cultural awareness uh and you know a stereotype it's just it just seems like we just don't want to call it a racial stereotype and the 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 politically correct kind of liberal-minded way to launder that is calling it cultural competency like this is all just information that you just need to know about the culture and those who uh are of it let's say um that's just a racial stereotype fancied up in prettier language but then they don't say anything fundamentally different they will say things like asians asians will have you know strict authoritarian family structures you know um typically you know emotionally cold a bit unavailable um and you know children suffer because families are typically very outcome oriented uh by that they mean like academically focused um you know very driven to succeed um and don't provide much like support emotionally spiritually etc um and you know culture shock stuff right like uh mm-hmm. and this is just reiterate repackaging the whole like trap between two cultures belonging to none uh narrative here like tell me how that's not just stereotypes 101 that they just put in a handbook and then not- expect mental health professionals to internalize and somehow somehow this all turns out okay I- i'm of the opinion now that not not only is it stereotype but it's also sort of um imposing like a like a i don't even say it's a cultural norm but it's it's imposing an ideal uh an an ideal of what a family relation should be um yes without yeah 
really a platonic ideal of what a, a family situation would be and everyone else kind of measured by their their distance from that ideal yeah whereas now i'm starting mm-hmm. to see that like basically you know there is no such thing as the perfect family there is no. it's just a measure of it's a it's 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 um you know, it's a system of trade-offs. You know what I mean? Like I know people that grew up with their parents and they were extremely friendly with their parents and their parents were very emotionally open with them. And then later over time, you started to understand that there were downsides to that. You know what I mean? That sometimes the parents had boundary issues with the kids that kind of stifled them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like an enabling parent-child relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So if we want to get into a situation where we want to pathologize that, then you're advocating for parents to be a little bit, you know, have a little bit more distance, a little bit more whatever. So it's just, I don't know, to me now looking back, it's like there, there is no perfect parentage. There is no perfect family upbringing. Um, it all, all of it comes with some sort of fucked up and something. And I don't know, like, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a thing where human development has become, uh, in America, therapized, therapized, where <laughs> just, you know, just yeah. navigating the sort of like, you know, just navigating a human life has become an expert uh, subject matter where regular people can't speak confidently about it. But, you know, as you get older, I think for me, I'm like, you know, I fuck a lot of this shit. I think a lot of this stuff is bunk, especially for people that are not suffering from like, let's leave aside like really severe issues right like people who are suffering like panic attacks and addictions and you know things like this right but i'm just saying like the everyday dealing with the 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 everyday emotional things that people have to deal with um i you know i'm starting to see that like there is value to putting things in the past you know and 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 i see with at least in the therapy sessions that i've seen that they keep reinforcing that, you know, nothing can be fixed until you go travel way, 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 way deep inside, all the way back to when you were a child to where you can barely remember and how you were never given that adequate, you know, you were never given provided adequate love and safety and stuff to the point where they're like, you know, it's possible that when you were a baby, because I know like, you know, it's a thing among certain Asians where um, the baby, I don't know what it's called, but like, you know, the baby's essentially ignored um, mm-hmm. and allowed to cry through until it stops. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and Americans look upon this with horror. And you know, yeah. I, I don't particularly love that idea either. But to in your later adult life to say that your problems stem from that, I'm like, you know, it's just there, there there's, comes a point, I think, honestly, where it's worth just trimming and letting go of a lot of shit. And taking stock of your your life, you know, things as they are right now. Rather, so when you see like your parent, like th- this is what I'm kind of like grappling with, right? Like in my own family and stuff is like when we get together for holidays and stuff. It's like there's just this oppressive weight uh, of the past, unspoken, but it's there. And I'm constantly wishing that for some of us in the family, anyway, that we could just cut it off that we could just let things go and then deal with the fact that we're all older now we've got a new set of we got a new set of uh a new hand dealt to us 
you know, our parents are, you know, in their 80s now. Things are different. New needs, different things. And right. I guess I'm advocating for letting go of the past as having val- has some intrinsic value as you get older versus I think the therapy route of beating the drum of how your childhood fucked you up. And yeah, there's a limit to that. I mean, for one thing, you can't go back and relive it or redo anything about yeah, that. Yeah, you can't redo so, it. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're if you're if uh, you're if you're being told that your culture sucks, and let's let's face it, that's just shorthand for race, right? If you're basically being told that your race sucks, like what what are you gonna do with that? That's what I kept being yeah, told that's... in therapy. It basically boils down. Like I remember, like my first there, I really struggled in college. So this is that this was my first right. uh, entry into a very vulnerable moment. Uh, very young, not really, you know, had no idea what you know what this was. I just knew that this is this is the resource they keep pushing at you if you are struggling with mental health. So of course I reached, of course I tried to, uh, you know, tried to use it, and you know, had no conception of how much I was actually being damaged by it in its own way. Like, uh, like the therapist kept asking me about my relationship with my mother, my father. At one point, like my mom texted me in the middle of the session, and then I kind of like looked at my phone and just kind of and just and just kind of like like flipped the phone over and put it aside. And the therapist was like, "Who was that?" I said that my mom. She's texted me like, "Oh, did you put that?" You know, and she, the question she asked was something like, "Is your mom like bombarding you with text or something, demanding to know where you're?" Like, no, it's just my mom just said hi. What the hell? Yeah. yeah yeah like are you trying to like trying to establish firm boundaries with her like no i'm in boston she's in la that boundary is very well in- reinforced at the <laughs> We've moment. got a whole country as a boundary like it doesn't get you know this yeah. boundary doesn't get tighter than that um right but the question was so leading like do you feel you need to establish you know healthy boundaries with her like there were better ways to ask that question like no lady like you have to understand i am here because of the consequences of my own bad decisions and not my family's trauma on me honestly here okay like (laughs) uh like my family doesn't have much to do with this situation at all um and then you know and then later i saw the notes she had written like resistant to being resistance to therapy like very belligerent (laughs) uh and not accepting of help like like my God! Yeah, okay. that, that was a, that's a bad therapist. I mean, that's there's a, some good therapists. Yeah. There's some bad therapists, and you know, um, yeah, that, that sucks. Sorry that happened. I mean, yeah, that, it's like no, awful. like I'm dealing with, I'm grappling the consequences. Like I went to a school I didn't, I shouldn't, I don't, I regret coming to this school, and this environment sucks for me. I should have listened to my parents, honestly, but I didn't, and my my own stubbornness is catching up to me, and I need help coping with that. Like, oh, is your did your family not tell you? You know, they loved you enough. Like. Okay, they put up with me. Okay, clearly that's just, I. They put up with me. They love me. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I it, mean, it's it's led to a lot of misdiagnoses over the years. Like, uh, uh, like a lot of them. And you know, if someone's in a position of authority like that, you tend to believe them. Well, certainly you're already going to them. It honestly yeah. took a couple of like Asian Asian therapists who were I am extremely grateful for to finally right. be able to unspool that that wad of bullshit that had accumulated for the better part of 10 years uh, until I finally was was in a place where I could properly like package all that. And honestly, I needed that therapy to recover from therapy. Yeah, unfortunately, that happens a lot, too. Um, so, so, yeah, you know, uh, and it. Yeah, it's um, a therapist. 
I, I guess my opinion about sort of what a, th- a therapist should be working so that they don't need to see you anymore, right? And that's the other thing. It's this is another this is another uh, pitch for uh, universal healthcare. There is yeah. so much money in mental health. Um, I have there is. I lost track of I lost count of the number of people I know who've been in basically are in therapy like constantly like it's just seen as like a like a maintenance thing you do like an oil change or like eating you just go to therapy right right right? and uh i'm not in a position to judge whether that's necessary or not but it's it's um but it never really feels like uh like this relationship is supposed to have a conclusion um it's funny i i feel like sometimes some therapists if they're if they're being honest and they're like i guess i feel good therapists they will tell clients or patients like, you know, I can't really help you anymore. Or mm-hmm. I feel like you, you've come to a point where uh, this isn't going to you know, help you and you're, you're doing great and you don't really need to do this anymore. Um, but I also feel like it. Yeah. I mean, with the with the with the childhood, with, with like the childhood being the the um, uh the source of all of our problems, right? Like I kind of want to, I want to blame like Freud for that, I guess. But, um, you know, for, like, I have a lot of, you know, I, I'm an, I'm adopted. Right. And a, a lot of what I, I think a lot of my sort of anxieties and, and, and mental health sort of, I don't know, struggles, but just sort of things I need to be aware of, um, come from that. But also like, I don't just sit in it and say like, I'm never going to try to like, uh, get better or I'm just never, I'm, I'm always going to stew in it. Like if, if, if therapy just never is always just you stewing in sort of the past, then that it's not doing what it should be doing. Um, but I also, but I feel like when the therapist wants to just say like, okay, uh, it's your culture, AKA your race. And like, you're saying just like, well, what do you do with that? Cause I can't change my race. Um, then that isn't, that's not going to be helpful. And I think that just so many uh, uh, Asian people in the diaspora, that's sort of where they're stuck. And then they don't go to therapy anymore. Um, and it's so hard to find a good therapist that that matches with you. Um, it's and really I, hard. You know, it's, it's really hard. And I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I think the way I think that there are cases, though, where you know, there are legitimate gripes about growing up in an Asian family and there sure. are things about Asian culture that is different than growing up in a white family in America, right? And I think if you go, what I see online and in a lot of Asian, you know, a lot of Asian people talk about this is like, there's a sort of backlash against the, um, uh, the tendency to, uh, you know, make Asians seem Asian families seem like what's the word, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a little bit fucked up that we are have inherently fucked up. There's, there's backlash against that and say, no, that's just your family's fucked up. You know, like your family's fucked up and don't, don't, don't racialize that. You know, it's like, you know, every race is their fucked up families. And, and that's true, but that does nothing for the person who actually grew up in a fucked up family. Right. Like, sure. Uh, if you grew up in an Asian fucked up family, you grew up in an Asian fucked up family. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And, but I would. And, uh, and yeah. so my point is that let's let's talk about that person, because I think that the I've, the problem I've had with that response 
which I understand. I get the point is to say, like, you know, we've gone on too long with the charade of, of you know, trying to um, – what is the word when you make something seem uh, like a like, – um, like Come out, out of a molehill? No, like when you, than... when, you, when you try to make something like it's a disease or something. Hypochondriac? Pathologize? No, no, no. Pathologize. pathologize. When you pathologize um, – the race, uh, Asian family, Asian family culture, or whatever, right? Okay, we don't want to do that. We we don't want to do that. So we say, hey, it's just your family that's shitty. Don't uh, you know extend this to all Asians or all Koreans or Chinese? Fine, I that is perfectly valid, uh, especially if you're Asian and you grew up in a non fucked up family, right? But if what I'm interested in is it now in this for this purpose of this pod is the Asian person that grew up in a, quote, fucked up family. Right? Oh, side note, my family is fucked up, too. Like, oh, yeah. Every, fa- every yeah. family is fucked up. Every family's fucked up, right? That, that, that's yeah. my point. It's like, at the end of the day, let's admit it, all our families are fucked up. Right? Of course. <laughs> so of course. We're, we're talking about everybody. That's what Every I mean. family <laughs> that's ever existed has been fucked up in its own ways. Exactly. There is no such thing yeah. as a perfect family. You can't. It's not that it's an ideal we can't achieve. It's, it just doesn't It doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> like, the concept shouldn't exist. Yeah. But okay. So my point is that okay, we 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 don't racialize the you know the the fucked upness of one's family. But then what do you do, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, even if even for the people I know that don't racialize the shit in their family, and that's a lot of people that I know, right? Um, you know, no one in my family I don't think racializes it or accuses it because like oh we come from a backwards culture. No one does that. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are adamant about. Um, and you all are adamant about pushing back against the racialization, uh, pathologizing uh, race in terms of this. And yet we grew up in fucked up families in, in, in our own ways, right? So I guess what I'm saying is that the problem that I see is that, okay, now I'm sort of in this bucket of like, I grew up in an Asian family and it was fucked up and I'm trying not to racialize it. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. like I'm burdened with this. I'm burdened with the fact now that I grew up not only Asian, but Asian people can be normal. I was Asian and fucked up, right? Right. So what do you do? And I think that the answer that we've been provided a lot of times just makes it worse, which is to say that um, even in the case where I know that it's not because I'm Asian or whatever, it's just I grew up in a fucked up family. Therefore, we're just sort of in this general, I grew up in a fucked up family bucket. Uh, that the, the, the tying of all your current problems, you know, all your emotional problems now, like, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, feeling depressed or feeling, I don't know, uh, uh, detached or whatever necessarily stem from that. And there's just like this, this huge swath of experience that just gets ignored like living in a capitalist society, Mm -hmm. like, you Mm -hmm. know, like working a bullshit job, you know, like uh, having to worry about money constantly, uh, not being able to form meaningful uh, friendships with people or being alienated from your kids or from your spouse or what, like all that shit. I think in, from what I've seen and from what I've experienced personally, uh, weighs heavier as or more heavy than, you know, our childhood stuff. Especially right. as you get older. Yeah. I agree with that. 
Yeah. Um, no. So, I mean, it's it, so in from the perspective of the person struggling with this, it's a matter of like trying to like weight each individual factor. Right. And it's complicated by the fact that they all kind of bleed into each other. Right. Um, like work stress, life stress, uh, you know, all and and the effects of just living in this society. Uh, but as someone who but, you know, the thing about being like a racialized person is that it's it's like they they model us as some somehow unaffected by broader societal shit and the it's the cultural slash racial stuff that takes preeminence when it comes to evaluating us as people i think there's a reason that happens and i don't necessarily think it's racism or or i mean that contributes to it but i think but it can't just be that because i think this applies to uh you know pretty much all people including white people right yeah yeah and i think part of it is that you know, therapy and, and all these mental health, uh, all, all, all the mental health practices. Um, see, now we're skating into dangerous territory because I'm talking ill of this stuff. But I'm not. I'm just saying that I think it's overburdened. Like, it overburdens some stuff, right? And the reason that it overburdens the personal, like your family, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. upbringing, your specific path in life and where it started, right? how that is all the stuff that contributed to your fucked up inness. I think the reason they got to say that is because if they were to instead say, oh, actually the reason you're unhappy is widespread throughout society, you know, um, you know, everybody in America, there's a, there's a widespread sense of alienation in America, the widespread sense of, you know, whatever it is, too much stress, too much substance abuse, all this stuff is that, Instead of saying that your life is fucked up, now you got to go and make a political statement about how the world is fucked up, about how society is fucked up. Mm. And if you are actually a healthy human being, that you shouldn't function well in the society. Because if you function well in a society that's doing all this stuff to you, right, uh, it means that you're like resistant to it. You're resisting it. You're fighting against social norms. Whereas if you, I think, are... I think the model of mental health now is that you can assimilate and partake and be a member of society almost in a friction-free way. That's our ideal, platonic ideal of mental health, is that I just am like, I am one with my environment, with my social environment. Good vibes. Good vibes. Well, well like, what uh, yeah. happens if the yeah. society itself is fucked up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if I was to go, let's take an extreme example. It's easier to think of extremes. Like, if I was to go back to Nazi Germany, right? Like, 1930 fucking nine, <laughs> right? A well-adjusted German. Yeah, what's a well-adjusted <laughs> German? Yeah, like a person who just, oh, just fits right into the party, right? Like, for, <laughs> you know, is, like, you go to, like, a fucked up society. I'm not trying to say we're not Ger- Germany 1939, but we're something terrible, right? And I guess what I'm saying is, you don't necessarily want to be the model of mental health in that case. You don't want yeah. to be right, like, right. you know, totally, uh, you know, in sync with your surroundings and your social environment. You kind of want to take a step back and be like, yeah, I feel outcast. I feel alienated from this shit because I don't, this shit's fucked up. I don't want to be a part of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, there's a, there's a Ted talk out there by some, uh, someone yes. who kind of got popular as like a, a psych, like yeah, a Rutger, pop psych. Rutger Brower or, 
Rutger Bregman. I don't know. Or... I think it's a. It, I think it's it, it's a woman. Oh, uh, is it a woman? I remember Sorry, listening that... um, a long time ago. It might have been Brene Brown or something. Uh, but I, I oh, mean, that sounds right. Brene Brown. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but I remember in the TED talk, like she said something that, that really struck me as weird. Talking about like everyone in America should be in therapy. Everyone in America should, you know, is is you could you could call like mentally ill to some degree. And I was like, "Oh shit! Okay, we're we're, ta- we're getting an indictment of society up in this uh, up in this house. Awesome, let's go!" Uh, and then it just completely twisted it. Right? That's it. That's it. Yeah, that was it. Um, like, like she's ta- like she wants everyone to seek mental health treatment and and therapy and all of that. And I'm like, well, what's it mean when you seriously think that 300 million people in one country are all mentally ill and in need of serious, uh, you know, mental support for well, that health? I, right. I don't know. That's an indictment original... of the country, but I didn't hear that. It's strictly a call to the individual to seek that kind of help. Is Jong on? Yeah, he just yeah, joined. Yeah, what's hey, Jong. Um, hey, welcome. Hey. How's it going? I'm good. Well, no, I'm not good. But um, <laughs> welcome to the pod. <laughs> but but uh, isn't isn't that? I mean, is the was the context of that original statement about how like, you know, because like late, not even just recently, but I would say like in the last you know five years or so, therapy has become much more socially acceptable and encouraged. Right? It's not. Uh, it's kind of like, yo, everyone should go for a walk. It doesn't, I mean, okay, maybe that's a poor analogy because Americans are also pretty out of shape. But, <laughs> well, you know, it's just it's physically just and mentally, we're, both, we're out of like, shape. Like, everyone should floss. Yo, we everyone just, should floss. We just we need right. help. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. We don't floss either. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. But I, you know what I mean? Like, that's how yeah, I would yeah. have understood that. I don't really know what the full context is. And, Teen, like, you know, what you're saying about, about okay. Uh, if society is fucked, you should not be well adjusted. And I agree with that. Um, but I also think that there's, you know, when I think about, you know, somebody being, having good mental health, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is kosher and that it's positive vibes only. It, it's that they have healthy, healthy mechanisms to deal with the environmental, with all the bullshit, right? Because like you might recognize that society is fucked. And you might have a hard time with it, but there's definitely a healthier way to deal with that um, versus like going on a, you know, like going on a a drinking binge and self-isolating yourself, not seeing the sunlight, right? Versus like reaching out to your community, reaching out to your social network and talking about these things. Like there are healthy ways to process the distress and far less healthy ways to, to process the distress. And for me, that's, that's what I think about when, um, you know, people are talking about. Look, I gotta, I gotta figure out. You know, I, I don't think it's yeah. necessarily. No, a no I, I totally agree with that. I, I totally sure. agree with that. And I'm also and jumping that, in here. So, no, no, no. no, I, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I totally agree with that. And I think it's, it's, it's helpful to clarify where, where I'm coming from. Is like, yes, uh, the if you clearly have like behaviors that are, you know self-destructive if you're um i don't know if you're doing some sort of self-harm through drinking too much or uh Uh whatever it is right yeah totally agreed i don't think there's any controversy around that what i'm saying though is like you know the what is instead of talking about like what are we to avoid in terms of behavior i'm more interested in when we're talking about the therapeutic Mm -hmm. um ideal 
like, what is the goal here? Like, what kind of, what should I be? Like, okay, we can talk about what behaviors I should avoid. There's no problem with that. We shouldn't drink that much. We shouldn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, what, all that shit, right? Yeah. But, okay, fine. But then what is the goal here? Like, what am I trying for? And I think a lot of that is very uncontroversial. I'm not saying that therapists are fucked up or wrong to say this. I'm just saying they're staying out of the fray of politics because they're not political people. They're um, they're here to help us individually. Yeah, I wouldn't so, say the role of mental health is to to um, fix the society. It's to fix individual yeah. members of society to be able to live better lives. I guess exactly. Yeah, and, and I, I don't I don't doubt that. I don't actually disagree with that lady, whoever sure. that might have been, who says that everyone in America needs mental health support. She's right. And <laughs> She's right. One hundred because correct. because when it comes to physical health, we have the concept of public health. Right. But when it comes to mental health, uh, we don't really have the concept of public mental health, right? We assume mm-hmm. that we already know what public mental or what mental health looks like, which is like that we are in sync and in tune with our social environment. But like I have been in situ- like different, and we all have been in different social situations where. If I had decided that, yep, this is the social situation for me, I'm going to merge into this, I'm going to be a functioning, healthy member of this group of people, right? I would have been fucked mentally, right? Yeah. Because these, these yeah. were clearly psychopaths. And I'm not talking about uh, a crazy group of people here. I'm talking about like a company. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm talking about like, you know, by all measures, something that a person should in 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 sort of like a intuitive way think i should get along with my coworkers. i should be happy to show up to work every day i should be i should like being here i should you know i should bring energy and creativity and motivation with me uh to work or to or to school or to, to whatever environment i'm in uh, or even your family uh and but the reality is if you kind of are or do some you know do some thinking about the nature of that workplace or the nature of that class or whatever you're like this place is full of psychos and i think we know that now i don't think it's uncontroversial to say like you know let's say the tech tech industry or the uh, gaming industry (laughs) yeah is loaded with just fucking just unhealthy yeah unhealthy social dynamics right or like like all of the reckonings that we've had with sexual harassment that we've seen uh with with like abuse of workers with greed and all these terrible things that motivate these organizations like at some level because therapy doesn't want to take a position on any of that stuff they just want us to be happy right they -hmm. just want us to be happy that it kind of puts us in a hard place because it's like all right i'm going to be happy but among in a in a really fucked up environment um that can't be good you know, and I think we do have like probably a public mental health crisis. I think even wasn't it the Surgeon General that said like America actually is in a grip of like a public mental health crisis? Uh, this epidemic of loneliness or whatever. You know, like- loneliness is one of those things that comes up every few years where there's like a big conversation about how disaffected and disconnected Americans are, and they and it, and the term loneliness is used to stand in for like the um, disassociation. I think people are feeling, mm. but. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and and using success as sort of a barometer of um, mental health is can be a trap as well. Uh, like you're saying, teen, like you could be 
part of a successful like company team or whatever. Uh, you know, you could be a, a high functioning member of a group, but not be in the best mental health state. You know what I mean? Like you could be earning a lot of money. I think that's a common but, pattern. I yeah. have seen. Oh yeah. There is a negative correlation <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> in a way, sometimes. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know, I guess I, that, that, you, you, that is exactly my point, I guess, uh, Adam is that the therapeutic mindset doesn't really, it, it just can't take into account the possibility that you might have to, in order to be like healthy to your nature as like a human, that you might have to be at odds with your environment, not in sync. Yeah. That right. Makes sense? No, it, yeah. it makes sense. Or maybe find a different environment, you know, but that's hard too in America is to necessarily find a different environment that is also going to allow you to, you know, have housing and, you know, earn money to, to have food. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean so yeah, it's, I it's tough. Talking about uh, like assimilating into a company, brings up a good point that I think a lot of times our conception of ideal mental health is very intimately tied to uh, productivity absolutely or prosperity yeah. um, so yeah. in a sense it's a it it's it's pretty capitalist in that sense someone who is mentally well adjusted will be productive will be able to participate in the economy slash society um, and you can measure you can basically measure mental health by their economic output basically. Um, and this is, I mean, this reinforce. This is how, like, accusations of like, this is how it's so entrenched that we can look at homeless, the homeless crisis, homelessness crisis, and say, and say it's uh, it's the mentally ill. It's a that they're all mentally ill. This is like, why else would you be in such a uh, in such a debased state in society here? Clearly, these people are just unwell. Yeah, you know, have you seen, um, you know, like more and more like workplaces are actually providing on-site counselors and things like that. Yeah, have you seen I've seen that, that show yeah. Billions? I've there's seen like that. A, yeah, there's a character in there. She's like a therapist. In, it's an in-house therapist at this hedge fund. And she just <laughs> basically is an enabler, yeah. right? She, she actually enables the employees there to do things that are actually quite self-destructive. And but probably you know, in line with the company's needs from exactly. those workers. Exactly. And also they're Who's not she really they, representing. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, I will say, you know, having worked data science at a major company, I have seen those out those uh though like that that stuff that you say you tell your company therapist or whatever, that is not exactly protected information. Really? There is no reason I should have wow. been able to see it, but I did anonymized slightly of course so i can't exactly like pinpoint right. who said i can't trace it to the employee uh but that was also just one level that was one level of authorization above mine talk about Those, malpractice i mean yeah so uh just just fyi for people who uh who yeah. are considering that route this they are all i think it's pretty common knowledge you know hr serves the company so is company mental health yeah, because that it would probably be in the HR stuff. department, right? I mean, yeah, they'll they'll tell you to do stuff that maximizes yeah. your productivity and say this is what's going to make you feel better. And to some superficial degree, it probably will if you're able to better cope with what it takes to put food on the table for your family, to pad your, you know, pay off your mortgage or whatever. That probably does bring a a certain sense of satisfaction, 
um, if not, you know, just just an, uh, relieves a little bit of anxiety. But is that true mental health? No, like your employer cannot be the one who um, provides that. You're, in fact, you're kind of trading mental health in exchange for a paycheck. Often, yeah. that's for sure. What do you, what do you think about the um, the push? I mean, this is something that's more specific to tech, I think. But what do you think about the push for unlimited PTO and like some places even require mandatory uh, time off? I think it's a trap. Um, I've worked at several companies that had that. I also know that I can count the number of days I actually took off on the fingers of uh, like like two hands. I was gonna say, like, maybe yeah. maybe I'm just like I I maybe I'm sort it's of an open ended this... trap. It's one of those right. things that's a that's kind of passive aggressive, right? You, yeah, your tech, oh. your it's a it's on the level of like gift giving, right? Uh, like the hmm. you never want to quantify yeah. it. But you also know when you're being slighted. You know what I mean? Or someone's taking advantage of you. It's sort of it's a squishy it's a squishy metric. And yeah, and I feel like uh, maybe I'm just sort of like traumatized by corporate culture now. But like, I would never take more. You know, I I would probably take less paid time off. That's you know. You know what I mean? Because like I have this I have this nagging fear in the back of my mind that it's it's a trap. Like, no, yeah, I mean, it's, you know it's I mean? been proven. It's been proven. Companies yeah. that have this unlimited or really, you know, really awesome sounding, you know, paid time off um, package, workers take less than if it, the company clearly states you have like three weeks off. But then what about, I mean, that's where the mandatory vacation comes into play, right? Like a lot of times your manager will say, hey, uh, you know, it's been a quarter and we've noticed that you haven't taken any days off. You're mm-hmm. allowed two weeks, three weeks per year. So you should take at least three or four days before the end of the quarter. I mean, that's fine because that's a clear quantified thing that's encoded yeah. in the rules. So they uh-huh. can't they can't blame it on like they can't even, you know, uh, cast aspersion on your character for taking it because they're the right. ones because that's right. in the policy. I mean, that's that's why I became I mean, that's my understanding is that's why, you know, some companies have started doing that because they noticed exactly that that yeah so it's a backdoor it's a backdoor way of kind of reestablishing an older norm which is to simply just tell people how much time they can take off because i've seen it like you work at a like um a little startup that grows a little bit bigger um so i end up seeing you know some of these management management decisions so somebody takes a little too much you know pto um and you know that's company policy, sure. But all of a sudden, you know, the manager's kind of bad mouthing them or saying that they're not quite as dedicated to the work or, you know, there's uh, the work yeah. quality is suffering. Some really, really soft, uh, mm-hmm. subjective metrics get uh, flexed on them. Yeah. Right? I mean, and this, I, this is a this is a bit of a tangent, but I think you're it's an, it, it's interesting because when you know, when you're given like a discrete number of PTO days. Uh, there's a certain like equality in that. Like everyone yeah. at the office understands that those are your days, and you should take them. That there's an ethic of those are yours, so use them. But once you do unlimited, you're actually not giving them anything, right? Yep. yep. And so there's no equality left, and so everyone's just looking suspiciously at each other. Like, are you just going to abuse it? Are you just going to? You have to ask it, for right? permission every time. Yeah, and so you have this thing, yeah. but it's like you, you you come up against this thing called uh, the the tragedy of the commons, right? Which is if everyone just abused that uh, of right um, to the full extent, which is I take half, I only show up to work half the days because 
I'm twice as productive as everyone else, right? Okay. But if everyone was to take that attitude, then the company's going to fail. What if everyone so does? Of, if everyone just twice shows as much, up. Though. I mean, it's not going to happen. Company, you, you can't Productivity have a company, is a you, really, you can't have a company really subjective where everyone metric. Is, well, no, That's but then you're. Is. No, no, no. But then you have this problem where you're like, like Wobegon, where every child is above average. Yeah. Right. That so, too. Well, also, you some can't. roles just can't be part time. Like I if you're the, in a CS role, it the, I think work. the point the unlimited PTO is to destroy the sort of um, the sort of like shared equality of PTO days granted. Yeah, I agree. They like, oh no, now oh. you guys just should be suspicious of each other. Yeah, no, it's yeah, yes, it's an ongoing absolutely. personality test. So this is like the marshmallow one iteration of the marshmallow test. I don't know if it's actually ever been clinically done. Actually, John, you worked. Uh, you talking about the delayed gratification? Well, yeah, but like this is yeah. like a, a like a, a kind of marshmallow test where like um, you get sat at the table and they just dump an entire bag of marshmallows in front of you, and they <laughs> just walk away. And they're like, you can eat as many of this shit as you can eat as much as you freaking want, but. Uh-huh. Um, you go one more past some unacceptable level that we're not going to tell you, and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a mind game. Yeah, it's a worse okay. mind game than saying just wait one hour and then you can eat one marshmallow. You're saying you can have all of these marshmallows, but there's some limit to the how many is acceptable, and we're not going to tell you. But that le- but you know you know it's there, and I know it's there. So if you're if That's, you don't know where that line is, you're gonna be you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lean conservative. You're probably gonna eat right. fewer than you were I mean, actually where, entitled to. That's where like knowledge of of culture really comes into play because that dynamic exists mm-hmm. in in every facet of society, right? There's all these mm-hmm. unwritten rules, um, we you know unwritten rules or uh, knowledge that certain rules can be broken freely, right? Like like jaywalking, for example. Everybody knows that it's fine to jaywalk. You can jaywalk in front of a judge, and you you know you won't get in trouble. Um, but if you're completely new to the country and you know that that's a law, you may think you may never want to jaywalk, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of circles back to sort of you know the experience as immigrants and why uh, you know we live in, in so much uh, I don't know about fear necessarily, but with a lot of concern and uncertainty about. What can we really get away with? What can we, you know? What is really allowed? What rules should and, be broken? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What rules aren't really rules? And that's yeah, cool, and I like, think it causes a lot of uh, anger and frustration because we see certain kinds of people being able to break the rules with impunity over and over again when yeah. we know that we will be punished. That's not supporting breaking the rules. It's asking for, like, like don't don't treat me like I'm stupid, please. I can see what's yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I may have ended up in a very lucky place, though. Yeah, because I'm seeing people take time off all over the place. That's good. good. That's good. Like, I, I have no problem with people taking time off. Like, just take it, man. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you I mean, know? But I understand it's a... that it's it's different when it's explicitly outlined. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Oh, you mean when, like when you really need someone around and they're just like never there? That can be kind of annoying, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, there's that's supposedly right. That's the trade-off. Is like, hey, we're trusting your your judgment, your discretion. You know what your responsibilities are. You know what's important to the company. And, and to be fair, like 
I'm sure this is very different at a larger company versus a startup. People at people go to startups because they want to build something, because they want to have an impact, because they like that chaos or whatnot. So it's a very it's a, it's a very self selected group of, of people, um, and I would not be surprised if people who are attracted to startups or entrepreneurial in nature uh, have a different relationship with taking time off or or like uh, stepping up to the plate when there's a reason. All right. So back to this issue, this, this, the original topic of, of like mental well-being and like sort of the models of it. I mean, I think I'm not, I'm, I'm, John, was there like a connection to PTOs or, um, what was uh, the, yeah, well, no, the connection was sort of like, you know, I, I, I feel that the unlimited PTO was one avenue through like, forget therapy. I don't need therapy. Give me time off so I can go do, you know, so I can go bike or I can spend outside. That's, that's my therapy is what I'm saying. Um, and so my impression of this unlimited PTO was, it is that it's an effort to help with mental health. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think like broad, like P, PTO is one dimension of it, but I, I support, I, I feel like there's this growing, like budding consciousness that uh, work actually will not set us free. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> set me free for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> to bring up a, a loaded, uh, a, load, a loaded phrase, I suppose. But I mean, it's for a long time, at least you know, the early years of you know my my college and post college uh, days, it was seen as like like mental health was almost a luxury or a frivolous concern. Yeah. Um, when you know, I, I mean, in the few moments when I would con- like. Uh, hear about it it'd be like well would you rather have mental health or would you rather be rich as one as if it's a trade-off and i think it is um to a great extent i think you do trade mental health in the pursuit of wealth um uh, so they're they're considered to be completely oppositional and one is almost like like we can't afford it yet (laughs) what we can afford mental health when we're rich or something Uh, and that drives that that insane work ethic that insane drive to success uh, and like, here we are, like, like 10, 15 years in and like, look at the aftermath. Uh, that promise has not held true at all. Mm. Except for like the five Ponzi schemers who did make it very, very big um, on the backs of a generation of very traumatized workers, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this idea that if you keep buying into work, if you keep climbing that ladder, keep, you know, cashing those checks, um, that your, that your mental health will somehow automatically follow. Like you will be happier, uh, the more you throw yourself into work, the more, uh, like, um, status you, you are able to achieve. Oh yeah. That's a huge oh, trap. Definitely, yeah. The, the old, yeah. That's the, that's the saddest part of all is, you know. Like, that we're working for our own uh, like mental liberation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you, you have to be strapped to the, you know, to the to the wheel, in order for you to be freed from it. Um, well, yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah. So I and mean, the I, faster I, it spins, the more liberated you are. The yeah. more turns you take on it. Yeah. I, I did want to get. Uh, there's a parable I want to um, to tell that's sort of related to this. To, to what we've just been saying, but I, I did want to get back to, I think a question that, that teen posed earlier. Um, about we PTOs. Were, what's that? Just <laughs> no, it's not about paid time off, but it's more about how, you know, 
what do, do we have any advice or what what is what is the the Asian diaspora person to do if they did they did come from a family that had a lot of like worse than the average right like uh, one that we could look on as like objective observers and say yeah that's that's pretty bad look I, like what I, what do, what's the I, answer the, to that right I'm of the opinion now I'm like I'm just I just think about this very differently because I'm older now and I'm uh, and and my parents represent something very different to me than when I was young they do not re- represent authority figures right they do not represent have you know people with power over me or having shaped my destiny or whatever they're 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 aging people they're they're elderly people and they're frailer they're not frail but they're getting frailer they will be frail and uh you know we're you know they're they're in the sort of twilight of their lives now right and i guess what i'm saying is like from the perspective that i have here it's like you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, Asian Americans talk about in terms of our families and how they're, uh, you know, are they are they fucked up because they're Asian? Are they uh, fucked up because they're fucked up and it's not because they're Asian or whatever? It doesn't really fucking matter, honestly. Like, at, at, at this point in my life and in their lives or whatever, it, it just doesn't matter because all that's in the past. And they're just older people and they, you know, you need to take care of them, right? And there's just, I don't see much about that. I don't see much about, like, perspectives in later life Mm -hmm. that contextualize all the stuff that younger people are constantly struggling with and trying to find the answers to. And I'm like, there's no answers. What happens is it just falls away. It just goes away. And I think... I guess I'm thinking now more about, um, you know, the burden of memory, right? Like if you hang on to memories for too long, they become burdensome Mm -hmm. and there has to, it's like a bush. You got to trim the bush, you know, uh, you know, whatever kind of bush we're talking about, it's got to get trimmed. Um, you know, you can't just let it grow, you know, out of control. Okay. Gonna be too bushy. You gotta, you gotta bonsai your your uh, your, your and, memories. Is that you know, like all bushes, tree. it needs you know yeah. your your memory has to be trimmed too. And I think a lot of, I think there's just I this think, is an all time record for the number of times bush has what? been said in a minute. <laughs> I am pretty sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The whole reason I thought of the topic was I just wanted to say Plan A says bush. trim that bush. Trim, trim that bush. That's and that just, <laughs> oh, that's the title. Trim your memory trim that, bush. Trim your memory bush. No, <laughs> I yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would say because that it is a burden, you know, like and the extreme, you think of it, always think of it, you know, just think of it in the extreme, you know, and like one extreme are like those people that remember every single detail. They have like hyper memory. Uh-huh. And there are some people who can't ever forget like any moment in their lives. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's really it's a burden for them. It's a burden. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're like, I wish I could forget. Yeah, imagine if all your memories were just relived like every day, you know, like yeah, like immediately, that like immediate. Yeah, um, so I'd agree with you. I don't know. I I just think think that it's it's uh, just strange to me because I see there's just a lot of um either sentimentality or resentment or just just a lot of emotions around one's childhood and especially as Asians because it seems like we all have a lot of childhood traumas and stuff that we have yet to process and. We're waiting for that moment where they get processed. We're waiting for that moment where we have the breakthrough or whatever. It never comes. Uh, you know, yeah. what comes is you just stop caring uh, because other shit takes precedence. You know, well, I think uh, uh, what 
it had for me it had to do with uh like being accepting that this conception of uh, this mental model i have of me versus my parents and our family mm-hmm. dynamic um I, I had to be open to the fact that it was changing right so how i envisioned it uh you know how it was like tina it's just i think it's something that just comes with age um i see a lot of younger people really grappling with it and being very proactive yes. like there yes. is something to do and yes. honestly you know i went through that too but you know and i and i'm in a b- different place now and i can't honestly say that it was effort that did it versus simply just letting it be and yeah. growing yeah. into yeah, growing yeah. into it and this is just a process that takes time so to to younger people listening and by younger i mean i i guess people under 30 ish yes under 30 um, yeah it just it's it's just just give it time it's really not something you force or that you can kind of like analyze your way out of there's nothing really you can do um it's just i think there's a there, for me definitely like as i got older like it being alive as an adult is kind of a humbling experience, right? So I see the same, right. like I have dealt with the same life pressures that, um, like that my parents had to had to face. And now that I can kind of like I'm at I'm at the age now that where I I knew my parents at the age I'm at, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I, and I you got into the age when they had you, so it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you can actually, be, once I can actually like conceive of my mom as like a person who is my age or something, or my dad yeah, as someone yeah. who is my age now, uh, and I knew that, and like, I, and I knew them because I, I, I was there uh, tormenting <laughs> them at this age. Like it's humbling. Like I understand them a lot better as people now, not just right. as my parents. And I can see how they made the mistakes that they made. Um, and I have to just be humble with it. Like, I can't say that if I were in that position, I wouldn't have made that mistake. This isn't justifying it. It's simply saying like, oh shit, like I get, I get it. You know, I, I really do get it. Right. And this is of course like, 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 look, like if it's something like, like, like physical abuse or something, like I am not saying you forgive that or you forget that. Right. That's a, that's its own journey. Right. Um, I'm just talking at the level that I seem to see in a lot of like diasporic writing, um, which yeah. is kind of like low grade that's constant right. anxiety about culture and mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and really race uh, that's going on. Like that's just something that has to fall away with time. Yeah, you, yeah. And you have we're to. We're not talking about like truly acute traumas here. Right? No, no, like, no, no. We're, we're talking yeah. about this general malaise that seems to grip a lot of Asian Americans. Yeah, and I think yeah. That. Uh, what I've seen now, you say it goes away with age. I don't think it necessarily does because there are people that I know that are <laughs> older than me that haven't let it go. And, and yeah, I, it's a process. The process and, has to be you have to be open to letting that change happen. I, I know a lot of people who are like, like committed personally to keeping that flame alive and intact. And it actually takes a lot of work to keep that uh, to keep that flame alive. So they still talk about their mom as if it's the same woman who uh, it, right. like. Like it's like friends that I've had for like 20 years now. Right. So and some of them still talk about their parents as if we were still in high school or something. Yeah. And I think that that is a total impediment to a certain kind of maturity that if you don't achieve that in, you know, your middle age or whatever, it can make you really fucking miserable. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Really fucking miserable. Yeah. And. And it can make other people around you really miserable. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. You, you, people project more out than they think this, they do, and, and it affects yeah, and people around you more than you think it does. And there's just so. this air of oppressive resentment that is stale and should 
should be aired out. It should just it should, a window should be opened and it should just go out the window. And unless there's something that is like I said, like truly fucked up about you know this that you 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 shouldn't let it go. It, it, not 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 only should you open the window and let the air out, but you should probably throw some people out with it. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. And absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, certainly yeah. part of being part of handling some of this stuff and letting it go is you let that person out of your life if it's that bad. Right. Sometimes it's just not having anything to do with that person. But um, you know, I I I think that a lot of moving on is yeah. something that is just not. You know, we, I think we just focus a lot on processing, resolving, uh, you know, all these like active ways of, you know, a, a applying a therapy, something therapeutic, okay. something that fixes it. We want a conclusion. Yeah, we no, we're yes. I think Americans were addicted we to conclusion. conclusion. We want a hey. we want a resolution to every situation and relationship. It's like- yeah, and that's not like going to happen. It's like how we think about, you know, healing a wound. You know how a wound yeah. actually heals. It doesn't heal. It just sort of falls off because new shit grows under it. Mm-hmm. it pushes all the fuck, you know, pushes the cut off. You don't actually it, it, you the, trim the, the bush. Never actually heals. You, right? tr- you trim the bush of the, of the <laughs> wound. The <laughs> a different bush. A different just so many bushes. <laughs> you trim the bush. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that. Like for let's say like like for me right like um, it, I might never be able to meet my birth parents let's say right well and I know for certain I'm not gonna be able to meet my birth father he he passed a long time ago so I've chosen to sort of not be resentful of that um, for other people they haven't other people handle it differently but it's something that I've chosen to do for myself because. I know that if I held on to it with anger and resentment, it would make me miserable and I don't want to be miserable. So maybe I'm choosing to do something and I'm being naive about it, but for my own mental health, I need to, I've decided that I'm not going to resent it. Um, So, you know, that's just one thing. The sad part of that though, in a way is like, you would write a better story for people to gawk at if you didn't let it go. Of course. You let people gawk at your inner, you know, pain about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and that's another thing that our, that our culture does is it, is it glorifies to some extent. Uh, Oh, the the trauma, like we, yeah. if, If your trauma is, can be used to get you a lot of attention, a lot of success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't yeah. lead to a great mental health, I don't think. Yeah, because people it, who choose it to step into it's, that, it's incentivizing you, know? you to never let it go. Right, and and this isn't me saying I'm not sad about mm-hmm. you know not ever being able to meet him, but I'm not going to be angry about it. There's no content to be mined in that. Right, but yeah, but I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah, I can't um, become a, a an expert and 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 mine my trauma, but you know, uh, but. Yeah, that's a that's well, a big thing. It's one like of those exhibitionism. Uh, yeah. exib- like we have somewhat in public discourse, especially with social media, um, we've kind of normalized exhibitionism as a part as a pseudo therapeutic process. That's simply a like that somebody sees your a catharsis. Pain. I don't know if it's even catharsis. It's simply that it, it that something has been accomplished if uh. some other soul has just simply seen your pain. 
and and can right, comprehend right, it right. to some degree. Right, right. This is why, like, I see you. I mm-hmm. I feel is somehow such a powerful statement, despite being really content free information. It is like you, yeah. yeah. Obviously, you see it. You saw what was printed on the page, or you saw someone share like. You know, you saw their face while they made a video about it or something, or you saw a movie. Um, Just seeing it, what is that? I think there's an assumption that by how I understand that is like, okay, I see this. And that means somebody else who's in a similar position may also see it. And that may help them out. Yeah. And there might be something. There is something to that. But it's it's only the beginning. It's like the first baby step it just says you're not crazy that's yeah. that's what i think right is, which is yeah. which that's is fair. important that's fair yeah that's fair that's important but it's it's not nearly enough but but then what right yeah exactly yeah. then what uh, yeah, so. but i just simply see like like it's it's um it simply it seems like we we are just trapped in that wheel everyone's just talking about their pain everyone sees sees it and then the wheel just spins again um and you know maybe we circle we circle we keep we keep avoiding it because the truth is is really hard that there is no conclusion to it not one that's narratively satisfactory shall we say how do y'all feel about anger and and the reason i ask that is because i think anger generally is uh, okay so like there's two sides of the coin right which is that like you know guys are typically allowed to express anger. One of the few emotions that guys are allowed to express. Uh, But generally throughout society, Mm -hmm. I would say anger is high. Expressions of anger are highly discouraged. Um, And uh, for, for very clear and obvious reasons, right? Sometimes anger results in violence and that violence can hurt people. Uh, And that's obviously not desirable. And that's, you know, that's not something I encourage at all. But uh, when I was growing up, I actually kind of wrestled with this because I was a frustrated kid. Um, I had a, I had things to be angry about, and I was, and everybody would tell me, "You got to calm down. You got to calm down. That's not the right way. You're only hurting yourself." But teen, to your point earlier on, which is like, if you see a fucked up society, you should be angry. Yeah. yeah. Right. And if you're not angry about, if you don't, you know, if you don't externalize the problem, then you, but there's a cognitive dissonance there. You're like, I'm distressed. There must be a reason I'm distressed. And if it's not my environment, then it must be me. And thus begins this like fruitless search for some explanation of why it's you, right? Right. Why you feel that way. You either have depression or you have anxiety or you have trauma from this, this one, you know, a handful of incidents when you were younger, or it was some, you know, understanding of your relation, you know, like, all that when it might simply be, you know what, you're fucking fed up and you just got to, I don't know, in, in some some healthy way, express that anger. Because that's like, I feel anger is a 100% valid emotion and it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to try and deny that you're angry. I support anger because anger is an adult emotion, I think. Um, I mean, uh, Trevor over at Champagne Sharks articulated a kind of relation, social relation between uh, between like minorities and you know white white supremacy, which is a childlike relationship, right? Fundamentally childlike. Um, pain, you know, pain, expressions of pain, suffering. Uh, that's a childlike state, 
because when you express that, uh, you're leaving the resolution to somebody else, to some higher mm-hmm. authority. Mm-hmm. It's on the adult in the room to say, oh, you have a boo-boo, let me make it better. Right. Pain is an acceptable response for for people in the uh, it, the, the untermension of a society. I'm just really firing on all fronts with this German thing. Today. <laughs> uh, but, you know, teen teen yeah, is the one who brought it up, all right? <laughs> That's true, movie. yeah. Okay, it's his fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so pain is an acceptable response, uh, a responsible emotion to see from people that that broader society is uh, it wants to hold at arm's length or does okay. not want to accept as a peer. Okay. Anger implies you not only anger implies a synthesis of uh, of problem solving here. You have identified the problem. Uh, you're past pain. You know you're feeling pain. You also have a nascent solution in mind. You understand that how you are being treated or the manifestation of this pain is an injustice on your part. Anger yeah. means you can see the solution somewhere and you are demanding right. it. Right. That's an adult yeah. emotion. I, I, um, I think it- and I think on a broader scale, that is highly dangerous. And this is why this is discouraged. I mean, right. I, I think that anger should be rational and you, you should at some point try to rationalize your anger um in a in an honest way and try and understand why you're angry sure yeah and is it justified and especially at a point later point where you're not angry because every time i get mad at someone it's usually online and it's usually at <laughs> someone i know you know I, I at the moment i'm like super angry and then later i kind of feel bad because i blew up at someone i know and then i think i got to think through it i'm like why did i blow up I don't think it's right to just sit there and be like one of these people who just like slaps yourself for getting angry at someone because you probably had a reason, you know, but mm-hmm. because you get emotional about it, you get it's an irrational. It, it is an irrational state. Anger is not particularly uh-huh. irrational in the moment. Right. But later, when you think about it, you're like, well, why was I angry? And I think a lot of times people feel embarrassed about being angry because maybe you were more angry than the other person. Yeah, stuff like yeah, that yeah. And regret being angry or whatever. So I think not only is it okay to be angry, I mean, not all the time, but it, it is potentially okay to be angry, right? But I think more than that, I see a lot of people and I see myself, the bigger problem is that you beat yourself up for being angry because yeah. you forgot why. You didn't really think about why. And then now what I do is I think later when I am less angry, like I try to map out like what was the disagreement what was the basis of that anger? And yeah. was it something, you know, was it me like, you know, being defensive, overly defensive about some personal thing or was it legit, legitimate anger at someone because there was something wrong with what they said? And yeah. 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 I, I think you got to think through it. And I think you got to be open to like, perhaps That's you're wrong. Perhaps you're absolutely right. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd and, agree with that. You know, just, it right. just so happens that I am a hundred percent right. Every time I'm angry. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just really good at no, it. But, uh, uh, no, but yeah. no, I, I agree that like, um, yeah, it, it anger can anger. Sh- I, I think is most useful. Yeah. Realizing that, um, anger isn't just complete something to be shameful of. Um, obviously you shouldn't just live in anger like constantly, but, um, yeah, you 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 should use it as like a, a cue to be like, all right, why did I get angry? Like you said, teen, uh, and really think about it, and then use it as a catalyst for action. Uh, maybe if you feel yeah. like you want to put action into posts. it, there's guideposts. Are you, know? you are you always yeah sending anger down, or are you shooting it up? 
You know, if you're shooting mm-hmm. it up, I think there's a better chance that you might have a valid reason versus right. you're always getting angry at, you know, yeah. someone that you have power over or, so, you know, like someone right. who doesn't deserve it or so, you know, like for sure, if you're if you're getting angry at people who should be able to fucking take it, you know, I think you're in a slightly better position. Versus, you know, I'm always yelling at servers at restaurants. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I want to oh, clarify. Sure, I don't mean sure. like, I don't mean like, 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 like unreasoned, just, oh, just no, anger course. out yeah. of a, like a, like, you're just a kind of a just bastard. Rage or something, and, right? yeah. Like, no, like, obviously not. Uh, like, I think people kind of fear anger because it can be unreasoned. I'm talking about anger as like, uh, as a, the full, like, um, I don't know how to phrase it. It's like the final step of a carefully, like of, of introspection, right? You've done the work. You've analyzed your problem. You've anal- you've 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 looked at everything that has led you to this to this moment, and you've decided you are angry about it, and you have a and you have a fully articulated position on why you're angry. I don't think that encompasses stuff like road rage or something. That's just that's gut level stuff, and you should right. really work on that. Um, yeah. But like. Uh, just taking like 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 the stuff I've seen on say Twitter right on adoptees right mm-hmm. I notice like the conflict and this is just an outsider weighing sure, in yeah. right I I feel like adoptees are very well like tolerated and liked when they're expressing stuff like I I miss you know I I'm yeah. sad about having mm-hmm. lost my my chi- my original home or something that's fine mm-hmm. it's when an adoptee steps in and, and fuck you. Yeah. for enabling this horrible system right. to, uh, yeah. to cause this right. pain to me fuck you and then you see people getting all yeah. up in arms like oh my god well, like, then, like, then you're the OC angry yeah. then you're the angry adoptee and they use that as sort of saying you're being irrational and because you're irrational we can ignore everything that you say after your initial outburst of righteous indignation it disqualifies you it disqual- yeah. Yeah. and they use it as a disqualification um, I use that as like a, oh this person might be someone I like <laughs> You know, you know, you know what the, yeah. you know what the, I think what the constructive answer to that is because that just enrages you even further. Sure. Well, and, it, and, yeah. and in a certain context, can make them seem to much more reasonable. And, yeah, so exactly. This guy's a boiling hot mess. Oh, it's a tool for sure. But I think the proper response that I found is if you examine your anger and you are certain that you're justified, that you have a point. And I think, you know what I get angry at? I'll tell you what I get angry at. I get angry at when people refuse to listen to what I'm saying, like the literal meaning of what I'm saying. Right. And they're just trying to gaslight and uh, get to the motivations of what I'm saying. Yep. Yeah. And that's all, that's that's like every adoption thread between adoptees and... The China watchers, adoptees. Oh, man. I was, just like as an example on. of someone I got really mad at, I was talking to uh, uh, JCK uh, about that chapter that he wrote when we were in it, and Adam was a uh, uh, part of that chapter. And um, you know, I I blew up Adam in a way that he probably wasn't expecting, but it was because he just wasn't listening to what I was saying. Yeah, literally. yeah, absolutely. He kept trying to characterize me. As to why I would say this thing, and I just blew up at him later in explaining this to him. I was like, "Look, you may think that my explosion of anger to you was out of the blue, that it was uncontrolled or whatever, but it's actually a product of me learning over time that there are certain signs of when someone is a clear waste of my time, right? And right. when people 
repeatedly refuse to listen to the literal meaning of what I'm saying, and, and no matter what I say, are trying to get to my motivations and, you know, my character mm -hmm. or my emotional state, then I'll blow up at you because it's my way of saying, fuck off, you're a waste of my time. Don't talk to me anymore. Right. Well, it's disrespect. It's an implicit flex that they are more in control of the situation and you than you are. That your yeah. words are kind of a distraction. They're not taking your words seriously. They are disrespecting everything you're putting down and saying, nope, my opinion on what you're saying is actually more important here. Right. And my point back to him was like, it, when I, it, this is how I respond to people these days. I actually, actually jumped to your point. I think I'm angrier these days than I used to be. And, you know, it's funny because people interpret that to mean like, there's something wrong with me. Like anger is a sign that you're not okay. But yeah. I feel fine. After I get angry, I'm like, because I know why I got angry and the purpose of my anger was to tell this person, stop talking to me. You're a waste of my time. Yeah. And there's no better way to make that clear than to just blow up at someone so that they know not to talk to you anymore. <laughs> you yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely one way to send a message. And I feel like if you get angry and then you walk away from that interaction and then you're not angry anymore, your, your anger was probably exercised in a judicious way. If you get angry and you just can't get over it and you're just even when you walk away, you're still angry. Then I think it's, you're not, you haven't, you haven't uh, mastered it yet, or you haven't. Yeah. You know, the, assuming or, you're expressed... not, or you're not being honest about what you're really mad about. That's the other part. Yeah, yeah that, that could that, be uh, it that's too. part of For sure. mastering it. You've got to go and examine why your mo what is motivating your anger and why you get angry. Like, why do you even show it? Why, but, why are like, you not? We've all met these characters that just had like unending, pits of rage uh that just would not no matter what the material co conditions were even um like just it just would not stop we've all met people like this um and they all claim that the problem's x y or z uh and even if x y or z improves it's still they're still raging or they try to just make it seem like the problems haven't uh ha there hasn't been any improvement then you can kind of tell that there's actually something deeper going on um so I think, I mean, so in this case, yeah, I actually am saying that I know, uh, I, 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 I suspect that there's more going on than the words that they are saying, but it's a repeated pattern over time, I think, which is different than a one time, like dealing with someone and then being like, nope, I, I have, I have the read on you and it's nothing you say is going to shake that belief. There's also two aspects of anger that you got to think about, right? There's, there's being angry and then there's expressing that anger. And I think mm -hmm. yeah. people mm -hmm. tend to have more of a problem with people expressing their anger and people who say control it, get a control of yourself. They're kind of saying suppress it, like just yes. be angry on the inside, but don't show it. Right. Well, I think and, they're saying don't even be you have no reason to be angry at all. And that's I mean, that's gaslighting. Um, yeah, but, so, but, and the thing is, I'm you can't like, actually when, when suppress we, anger. But what you I'm can't saying, do when it. I think people to control their anger. You know, I think it's like, OK, it's not bad to get control of it, but to control it, I think you got to be, you know, there are times to show it and times to hide <clears> it, right? That's that's a strategic thing that you got to learn. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a reason to get angry at people. There's a reason sometimes to hide it. Like if the guy is kind of dangerous looking, probably <laughs> don't show my anger, right? Like I might just fail <laughs> and run, right? Um, but, you know, the issue of, feeling angry and stuff like you know i inside you know i have an angry anger response 
then just I think, yeah, that's the thing where you you have to question yourself a little bit, you know, after the fact, like, why am I pissed? Because sometimes it's hard to know. It's like, I don't know. I'm just fucking pissed, you know, and, and you're right. You're probably missing something. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, someone did something to you and people are usually way, um, uh, it's easier to pick up on that one. Sometimes it's a difficult one. Sometimes you're the asshole. Sometimes. Um, sometimes Yeah, that's true. I try not to be, but sometimes you are the asshole. And then then, you know what? You go apologize. Right. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, apology. You own it. Apologizing is like a magical thing. Uh, <laughs> it's like scar tissue. No, I've noticed this that it's like scar tissue. You have scar tissue. How they say it's like stronger than the original tissue. If you, you know, my closest friends, like we, I've all, we've all blown up at each other. We've all had our falling out, and then someone apologized, and uh, you're 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 stronger for it. Your relationship with the person. So, yeah, I agree with that. If it's a genuine apology, for sure. Put put apology in your toolbox if you're gonna put anger blowing up at people in your toolbox. <laughs> put the poison and the antidote in there. That's right. It what feels best is righteous anger. So you know my I I need to I need to, my my introspection is I need to make sure that my anger is as righteous as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your diligence first, and then yeah. you lose your shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I mean I I think. One thing that I've gotten better at is, you know, just recognizing, well, especially for stuff online, right? Um, is it worth my time to express my anger at this person? Right. Or or are they just being a troll? Or are, are they demonstrating that they're not really listening or reading my words? And if they're not, and if I make that decision, then just bow out. Let them, quote unquote, win that. It doesn't really matter. Um, and... That's it. That's experience. So, that's experience, right? though. Like, that's but some, but some people, yeah. But some people, um, if they, if not, if they're not just sort of ignoring what I'm saying and trying to like wheedle, like do like armchair psychology on me or or, or things like that. But if they're really saying something completely offensive, like to use adoption again as an example of, that happens online, if like people are talking about legitimate rights based issues around adoption. Uh, and they reply with like, "Well, would you want to be aborted?" I just say "fuck you," and that's it. Yeah, like block. You've seen it. Like, there's no reason to be like, you know, to reason with them. Like, why did like, why did you say that? Like, of course that's wrong. Like, but only because you know that. Yeah, only because I know that, and that's but, just like, experience. People who are right? first encountering this, they may not yeah. know that they have got to learn. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I'm not blaming anyone for doing what one. I'm just saying that as through time, that's what I've I've learned, right? And yeah. that's just something you learn. Um, because yeah, like I think there's that emo- you're right. Like there's that emotion of being angry, and then there's like how am I going to express that? Uh, and you don't always have to express it at everyone <laughs> that that makes you angry. So yeah, all right. yeah. Oh, all right. Good shit. Yeah, and um, and I I I'd say to that. Oh, one one helpful yeah. thing about therapy, just to wrap it wrap, just to close the loop on that one. I thought one of the biggest. Uh, tools that good like good therapy brought me was being able to filter out what's in my control and what's not 
Yep. Yeah. Yep. In that sense, Absolutely. it's a. It was. It became a. It's. It's. It's kind of an emotional management tool and also kind of a, a filter as well. So um, if you do it right, if you go into it with the right intentions and you meet someone uh, who is who you vibe with and can help you in that process, uh, it's it's been really helpful. So now I know like what I'm angry about. I mm. And it's been yeah. and then, you know being up and you don't close that loop unless you actually learn about the world around you i think i have a much better okay. idea of what it's what i'm angry about and i have to say as as i keep learning um my family or my quote culture keeps falling down in the list of priorities on that list mm, of things yeah. that uh that i feel i am angry about just yeah. like righteously or justifiably yeah huh. and and i'd say that one thing to look for in a therapist that i've found um, for therapists that that really helped me is someone who who basically believes what you're telling them and their advice is around sort of your experience and there and you can you can ju- you know you have to judge this for yourself but you feel that like you told them something and instead of something like and their response to you is not just cookie cutter and boilerplate but they they demonstrate to you that they've listened to you and they've gotten to know you. Uh, and that's going to take a little time and it might not be evident right away, but that's sort of something I look for or I've looked for in the past um, is someone who just listens to you and gives you advice based on what you've told them, not sort of just like general, tell me about your dreams kind of stuff. Tell me about your mom. Tell me <laughs> or, about tell your me, or tell me about your mom. Uh, right? Man, if I, they I bring that, that up and you haven't talked about your parents, um, then yeah, but that's just a general note, you know, someone who listens to you. And that's, that might seem like, well, they're a therapist. They should listen to you. That's not always true. Um, no, it's so. not. I've, I've never had a therapist, so I can't yeah. offer any advice other than, you know, offload your problems onto your friends and offload your problems onto your family. Make it their problem. And then <laughs> yeah. it's not your problem. Yeah. Uh, therapy. Boom. Yeah, therapy. Uh, it's a, like true. that we've professionalized <laughs> it kind of uh, – <laughs> Um, like, like the idea that you can be kind of mentally well in a complete bubble just between you, your employer and your therapist, basically, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. That like is I weird. see my, f- my friendships are therapeutic in that sense, you know, yeah, um, for sure. all of these relationships have like, we owe, we do have a responsibility to each other in that sense. Right. Um, it's not just like friends are in this one zone, but like me and my therapist, that's its own different track. Uh, no, like you should have people who are helpful to your mental well-being um, and whose mental well-being you are invested in supporting right. uh, around you as well, too. I mean, is that one thing I will say, uh, I don't think I'm contradicting anything you're saying just, but I just maybe to to add a little uh, uh, spice. Uh, yeah, like an alternative take is, sure. yes, I agree that there are things that you got to let go because you don't have control over. And but I think that people sometimes take that a little too far where it becomes this ethic by which they can just sort of not give care about stuff, you know, and I that's true. And, too. and I think that the problem with that is that um, you actually do care about stuff. And even if you can't do anything about something, you know, you still care about it. And, uh, and I've noticed that there is among people that I know personally, um, there, there definitely is a quest to just not stress the things that I don't have quote power over, but yet they still stress. And I think that 
sometimes they overlook the fact that they are angry about things over which they are powerless. I feel very angry over the things that I'm powerless over. For example, the, the, the rampant racism and xenophobia and the anti-Asian shit. I'm powerless against it. I can't do anything about that. If I go to, when I go to work today in the subway, I'm powerless over whether someone's going to come up to me and yell in my face or punch me in the face. I can't do anything about that. Uh, but it doesn't mean I should ignore it. You know, and I think that the response to that is maybe you can't do anything about it, but you can find like-minded people and connect with them that's on true. these issues. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be something that's immediately threatening your physical safety or necessarily affecting you right now. I mean, I think there are, there are things that I have an interest in, that I have an opinion about, but I'm not in any position to do anything about it. I have concerns about the uh, economy. I have concerns about politics. I have my opinions on that shit. I have nothing to offer in terms of affecting any of that stuff. So should I not care? No, I should care. But I should also find other people that I think can, you know, share such an interest and I can uh, be a part of a community where that is is like an important thing for for that community, you know, and that helps. I think just just learning to say, say I have no power over it, therefore I shouldn't care about it. Uh, when taken to an extreme, I've seen it's actually working against a lot of people because they 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 just in a way they almost make their zone of concern too small, and they become kind of selfish because the, the, because the 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 what what comes in place of caring about things over which you have no power is to say. The only fucking thing I care about is my immediate thing, my immediate surroundings. I only care about my, you know, these three people right next to me. And I, I just care about, you know, my bank account and I care about my well-being and fuck everyone else because I don't have time for that shit. I can't help you anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I get frustrated by that type of uh, perspective sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I, sometimes I, I don't think I'm wonder... contradicting anything you're saying, Jess, but I think no, I don't um, think you are. Yeah. I think you're adding much, uh, much, much needed clarity on that. Uh, trying to speak in broad strokes because everyone's going to be different, but that's that's very very true. And if anything sounds contradictory, it just means that well, being a human is complicated shit. Yes, it is. It's really yeah. complicated, uh, <laughs> and there's just, there really is no one size fits all thing. Yeah, that's why you got um, yeah, you got to trim the bush. yeah it's too bad it's too bad we're not being sponsored by like like hedge clippers or something Um, or manscaping Manscaping. (laughs) um but like they call call their thing the trimmer or like the oh god the the lawnmower they call it the The bushwhacker they call it the lawnmower i think (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean i think there's a like like confronting the problem head on is an important step one, right? Before mm-hmm. we get to any emotional response to it. Uh, like I, I, I think pretty hard about, you know, all the irresponsible writing that I see, like a lot of Asian American, uh, like so-called activists and professionals are doing on the topic of anti-Asian crime. Um, of course, I can't read, you know, I have no read into their mental states, but, you know, in aggregate, Something something just says that they are not able to confront this problem head on. They're not able to see it. And so there's a defensive reaction to kind of pretend that the problem isn't there. 
I think that's one one unexamined, you know, one um, danger to you know not being able to see a problem uh, correctly. You kind of you're kind of incentivized to pretend that it doesn't exist at all. That's actively dangerous. Yeah, that's right. Bad. Whether you might yeah. have how powerless you feel about it or what you feel you can do about it is one thing, but denying that the problem is even there—that's a whole nother issue yeah. entirely. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If and a whole other podcast. Taking, if you're seeing a problem like head on, at least like you, you, you think that anti-Asian crime is real and it's somewhat random, right? Uh, there's stuff you can do, right? On a, on a, like a, a low, like on a low level, like maybe you're not standing like right next to, like you're not standing in the yellow zone on the, while waiting for the subway or something, you know? Um, just to use a really quick example, like if you think that we're headed over an economic cliff, maybe you're not going to blow your kids, you know, college savings on an NFT or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> on so, the other like, hand, maybe that's the only way they're going to be able to go to college is if that <laughs> yeah, NFT maybe. blows up. Oh, God. But, uh, <laughs> I that's opened, a whole, those are two I other opened podcasts a bad count of worms. Um, right there. But, but uh, like, so... Yeah. I don't think denialism ultimately feels good either because there's going to no. be that little sense inside you that kicks the, and it's going to manifest as anxiety. You have this like ang- anxiety about life and it doesn't really, and you're not really allowing it to find its focus. Right. Um, and it's hard to see a problem head on, but that is the step one, whatever you do about it, that comes after that. But being able to see it, that's, that's that you can't, there's no way to resolve it without doing that. I think that's uh, that's add to add on to what Teen was saying, really. Yeah, but there's just no easy answers. <laughs> no, there, there isn't. But um, so I don't know. We just spent a, an hour and forty minutes saying that there are no answers, guys. I just, there's just a certain set of people that uh-huh. I don't want to name, but I, I it doesn't matter. But I just want to grab them and just scream like, just let it go. Just fucking mm. let it go. You know, I don't know. This is yeah. sounding very abstract because I'm trying, you know, but. It, well, OK, like, OK, in the same if in the same newspaper, let's call it, let's say the at New York Times, if the front page is talking about, well, like, so how bad should we how many nukes should we drop on China? Let's talk about it. And in the op-ed, it's something about, oh, yeah, my lunch stank in, in high school. Uh, you're going to have to catch up to the dialogue here. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Front page is gonna be like, should we glass Taiwan or what? And in the op-ed, it's I I feel trapped between worlds. Yeah, like no, you're trapped in this one. Yeah, just just, just straighten your priorities out, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, and then anyway, I think it's applicable in a lot of little in a lot of dimensions. It's helped me a lot. It's just to learn to sh- just let shit go because it's just not worth caring anymore. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Well, maybe we can feel, end it there. I feel better. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, well, that's, you know, that's the important part, right? The important part oh, is did, trimming the bush. That we learned that. I don't, have, I don't have money for therapy. I use you all for therapy. All, well, that goes to your point fun. about <laughs> friends, right? I mean, how much? How yeah. much with three hundred fifteen one hour sessions, one hour plus sessions, sometimes three hours? You you sessions. wouldn't have that nest egg for a house. Let's, let's just say that. I mean, how much does <laughs> one hour of therapy cost these days? It can be a hundred, two hundred. It can be a uh, lot. I know. I know someone whose uh, therapy sessions cost three hundred and seventy dollars. What? Oh my right, let's call God. It oh, shit. Let's call it three hundred fifty for an hour. Mm-hmm. And let's Dude. just let's just go three hundred fifteen hours. One hundred ten thousand two hundred fifty. 
$110,000 worth of therapy. That's what I'm saying, dude. You motherfuckers for free. Okay? Yeah. So who's on top? I'm on top. I don't need the Patreon money. We don't use that for ourselves. We use that to pay off writers. We do. real grift. Pay off writers. Pay them off. 110,000 bucks, y'all. I don't owe you shit. You see? Yeah. Let that go. Trim that bush. Well, you you will owe us. You will pitch in for the house that we get in January. So, yes, for our vacation house. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> <laughs> all right, there you have it, guys. Well, I'm gonna go back and have some more makali. Um, all so. right. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. All right. See y'all. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you.